they are treating every transport as if it was presumptive COVID. So they're getting in full PPE and having to decon the vehicle after each transport, and it's a lot. And that's where the federal government's really important, where we have a rolling crisis through the country. And so it's like, let's get all of those machines to New York and San Francisco. Right. Then let's take all those machines to the next hotspot and the next hotspot. And that's unfortunately not something we're seeing. What up, world? Welcome to another Apodclips episode of the yeah. Amer Podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, What up, team? So many puns. Yeah, right. We have, as special guest today, our dear friend and fellow co Ameripodcast content Host. contributor. <laughs> oh, there it Host. is. <laughs> Nelson Parrish, a.k.a. Fluffy. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on yet again. Feel feel like almost a regular now. You are a regular. I'd say you're a regular. You're like yeah. an irregular regular. Yeah, there you go. We also have with us Mr. John Anderson, guardrails number two. Ayo, that's you. You know you're in trouble when I am the guardrails of the podcast. You know that everything is going terribly, terribly wrong when that is the case. <laughs> Today is Saturday, April eleventh. For that's actually 19 minutes past 420, but <laughs> is that how all time is relative? <laughs> <laughs> all time is measured to and from 420. That makes sense. In honor of Tyler Grillo, just because it's April 2020. See, so it's he, he pointed day. out it was 420 all month. He, that is true. So I got to make yep. reference to it. I feel like every podcast, but anyways. Every podcast in April. Trying to make lightheartedness before we get in. It feels in. like this month has gone way, way faster than March did. March felt like it was four billion days long, and this is like already a third over, so maybe we're getting used to this yeah. this, this life. I don't know if I agree with that. No? <laughs> What's your time feel like, Fluffy? I, I just feel like time's kind of flying, honestly, but that's probably largely due to the fact that i'm working all the time and that that not just in april but in march as well yeah no it's just been like the year has just been going crazy yeah yeah well well fluffy i'll let you give your specific title because i know you just got a little promotion down there at flight for life yeah yeah why don't you introduce yourself yeah i am the lead communication specialist at the flight for life uh, comm center uh, Flight for Life Colorado. We're based out of St. Anthony's in Lakewood. And it's a fairly new position. Technically, it's team lead. But, you know, the the term team lead, manager, and supervisor all get tossed around pretty interchangeably. Hmm. So so, so you are master and commander of the comm center, is what the hell is. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your words, yeah. <laughs> I answer a lot of emails. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. I think the, uh, to use the parlance of the podcast, your supreme allied commander of Comm Center. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know what it is about Comm Center, but it always makes me, brings me back to spending nights at your house, Anderson, back in high school when your dad's uh, radio would be going off in the middle of the night with the fire department. Yeah. 
Minotaur, baby. I used to sit and I used to sit and listen to that thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that's my childhood. Yeah. yeah. So when so you... one of one of my uh, one of my team at, well and it has begun to spread. Uh, I hope affectionately refers to me as boss hole. <laughs> I love that. I've not heard that. That that seems to be a, a, a good uh, delineation between or combination of respect and, and humor. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm there. good with it. That's cool. Well, that's how I see you, Fluffy. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so Anderson, you've prepared some questions for our Hell yeah, our, I did. our sir here, our gentleman. <laughs> So, uh, Fluffy, tell us about, like, what a day is like for you, like a normal day, prior prior to insanity. Like, what do you do? Prior to, oh, prior to insanity. Um, prior to insanity. It's actually been kind of an interesting reaction um, from our end and what we do. And so, a normal day on console, before all this took place, what was... Is, what does on console mean? Sorry, so... On console now means basically sitting at the at the workstation doing the job, uh, taking the phone calls, and dispatching out the helicopters and uh, airplanes and ambulances. And so, a day on console is a day dedicated to that. That's what most people work. I I have different days now. I call them admin days and console days. Um, and so a normal console day before all this took place, which one is your favorite console days <laughs> every day. Um, but before this, you know, we, we took, it ranged like anything else as far as how busy we were. And you know, uh, wait, can, before we get into this, can we explain what flight for life is for people listening who may not know? Yeah, sure. What do you do? Yeah. What's, what's your point? So, Flight for Life Colorado is a air medical company. Uh, we are a nonprofit. We are the first air medical company, uh, civilian air medical company in the United States, and we're coming up on our fiftieth anniversary. And so, we've got five helicopters, which you may hear me reference as rotor wings. Mm-hmm. We have three airplanes, which we refer to as fixed wings, and. Uh, I think we have about four or five ground ambulances uh, that we run on a daily basis. And those are for like emergency. So it's a combination. We do interfacility transport uh, transports, and that's just between hospitals. So if there's a patient at a hospital that needs to go to another level of care um, due to their illness, uh, we offer critical care transport, which is higher than most transports. Most transports are ALS, which is advanced life support. Ours is CCT, which is critical care transport. And the difference is uh, we have a nurse and a paramedic on all of our vehicles, and an ALS is an EMT and a paramedic. And so we can, uh, our crews can push drugs and do medical procedures that other uh, services can't. And so we tend to get the the sickest of the sick patients that need to move from one hospital to another for more typically more advanced um, procedures that require a specialist that isn't at the hospital that they're at. Um, 
And we also do scene, what we call scene flights. Uh, we get called by other 911 agencies who are requesting us to respond to a scene, whether it's at somebody's house because they're having a medical event and uh, they live far away from Denver or from Colorado Springs and they need to get to a major hospital and it's going to take 45 minutes or more to drive it and it takes us 10, 15 minutes to fly it. So mm-hmm. uh, we get called out to scenes for that reason. And we also get called to backcountry, uh, a lot of avalanches and, uh, you know, skiers, snowmobilers, snowboarders, hikers, uh, just all sorts of backcountry stuff. And so we respond to those as well. And throughout the day, you know, any number of them can come in and we triage them and dispatch out the appropriate uh, resource. So that's what Flight for Life does. Do you like your job? I really like my job. Yeah. It's a cool job. Why? It was actually kind of interesting. We just recently went through a uh, an accreditation that happens every three years. And we just got done with that a few weeks ago. Actually, literally the week before the whole COVID thing came down or two weeks uh, before. And it's really, really cool uh, to have these surveyors who see dozens of programs across the country come to your program and uh, do a audit on it basically and have them come out the other end and have a few minor suggestions on things that can be improved, but by and large are very impressed with the, the forward thinking and the uh, capabilities of your program. Uh, There were things that I didn't know uh, things that like we are kind of at the forefront of a lot of research projects um, like in what? regard, in regard to our medical crews, uh, more specifically, as far as like, uh, their hearing conservation, um, uh, because the helicopters and the airplanes are exceptionally loud and being exposed mm. to that repeatedly, um, has proven to, uh, cause hearing loss. And so we are doing research on that. We are one of the first companies. I mean, there are some hospitals that aren't even doing this. It's called Reboa and, uh, giving whole blood to trauma patients in the field. And so we carry blood on all of our aircraft now. So if we respond out to a trauma scene, we can start administering whole blood and plasma to that patient even before they get to the hospital. And uh, we're seeing some really big improvements on uh, patient condition on that. And so it it was just really, really cool to kind of hear that you're a part of a program that is kind of ahead of the pack and basically has been since their inception, since they were the first. And so there's a part of me that takes a lot of pride in that. And, uh, and I just enjoy, I enjoy the job as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate you doing it. Mm-hmm. So you said, um, this accreditation happened before everything hit the fan. Yeah. The accreditation happened just a few weeks before kind of everything got turned on its head with, uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And, and I started in my new position as team lead five weeks before the accreditation survey came. And so I ended up kind of hitting the ground running in that new position. And everybody kind of took a big sigh of relief after uh, Kames accreditation had left. And then a couple weeks later, it just got turned back on with all this uh, coronavirus. So has your day-to-day changed a lot then? My day-to-day has not, although 
it should have. So after I was expecting after the uh, accreditation for my hours to go back to normal and for <laughs> and for my schedule to kind of go back to a normal state. And How's that then, going? well, I got about I got one paycheck of normal normalcy, and then it got turned back on again. And so um, my day to day hasn't changed that much as far as the hours I'm putting in. And uh, we're just trying to adapt to this as best we can, like everybody else. And things change daily. Yeah, you guys work some long shifts down there, right? On the on the hours. Yeah, we work twelve hour shifts at six to six. And uh, you know, recently I've been working one or two days on console, typically, and then doing administrative days. Other than that, last week I ended up on console for four or five shifts in a row. So, you know. As a result of the whole COVID thing, because of call outs and sick calls and how we have to respond to those now. Right. Because you can't just come back to work. It's just not that simple anymore. Right. And uh, some of your folks tested positive. So we don't have anybody that's tested positive. The drama in the comm center that we've got up to this point is we've got one person out who was diagnosed with viral pneumonia, which turns out that's what coronavirus is. And, uh, right. <laughs> but the test came back negative, but there's a pretty high, and I don't want to quote it and get it wrong, but there's a pretty high false negative rate with the tests. Hmm. And so we've had a number of team members on the medical side and then our one in comm center who have had all of the classic signs and have been tested and have come back negative, but everybody's fairly convinced that it's, that they've had it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard of some people coming down with the symptoms, then testing negative and now being in straight denial that it wasn't it, but isn't the, um, false negative percentage like 60, 40 or something like that. It's like 25 or 30% is how I've come to understand it. Um, so it's still pretty high. It's still pretty high and it, it, you know, we don't know, but I think it could be higher than that. Just mm. just from my personal experience and what I've seen and everybody who's tested negative who, you know, have had these symptoms that are just. Yeah, it's like, oh, exactly what you would expect. A mild case, perhaps, but. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't pretend to know the testing process and why that is the way that it is. But have you seen a lot of changes in the hospital? Yeah, the hospitals, they've been interesting. So. A lot of changes happened with regard to employees coming back to work. There's a lot of people wearing masks in the hospital. If you're in patient contact, you need to be wearing a mask. And um, and they've also stopped uh, visitors. So you can't have visitors in the hospital with the exception of like, there's like a dozen exceptions. And it's like medical authority over somebody or uh, whatever they call that. Power of attorney. Power of attorney, end of life. But unless unless it's pretty severe, there's some reason they've stopped having all visitors uh, mm-hmm. in the hospital. So that's probably the biggest thing. Is that weird? It is weird. The, uh, the hospital's really empty, um, just, uh, you know, walking around. Mm-hmm. And the cafeteria is still open, which I, is, like, one of the few that is still open. But there's no longer any, like, salad bar or self-serving kind of stuff. Everything gets served to you. Um, they've, they've offered a one free meal for associates every day out of the cafeteria. And 
Yeah. So, the, but the cafeteria is like a ghost town compared to what it used to be because there used right. to be so much family and and people around. And now it's you know if you don't have to be at the hospital, people are working from home. So there's plenty of people who are working remote that, you know, I don't know who all it is, but I know like our business office is rotating so that they're working one or two days a week in the office. And then other than that, they're working from home. So yeah, the hospital in that way has changed a lot. And then I, you know, I can't speak to their PPE and things like that as far as what's required in the ER and I know they've dedicated a couple of ICU floors just to COVID patients. So, yeah, you know, procedures like that. But the reality is, you know, a lot of this stuff with previous scares of Ebola and things like that, it's, it's another infectious disease. And this is just, you know, this is how it happens. This is how it gets dealt with mm-hmm. on, a day to, on a day-to-day. Yeah, I'm not sure which department my brother was doing work for at the hospital, but he just this past week was rounding up masks from other hospitals. Mm-hmm. It sounded like bringing them in to yours. Yeah. Kind of actually kind of a crazy story. Um, I assume it's okay to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we have a Learjet at flight for life and we were getting ready to send it down to Texas to pick up a huge shipment of masks and then mm-hmm. up to like LA to pick up another shipment of PPE for the Centura network. And, uh, they were setting it up and setting it up and it got delayed a day. And then we had to, you know, it was just kind of this back and forth and we weren't hearing the whole story. Well, it turns out we were, we were an hour from leaving Denver to head down to Texas to pick up the, these masks and stuff when, Apparently, it was discovered that it was a scam. Whoa. What? Yeah. So, like, I I don't know how big the numbers were, but, like, that's some big boy scam stuff. <laughs> I'm used to, like, Whoa. Craigslist scams where somebody wants to get $500 deposit oh, yeah. off of a car or something. But That's like getting the FBI involved kind of scam. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. Um, so, I don't know how far Centura got down that rabbit hole or uh, anything like that, but... We did hear that it was a scam, and so we ended up nixing that trip. Whoa. Oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah, it's amazing how many people are trying to profit from this. Oh, yeah. Terrible, terrible human beings. It's interesting because, you know, it, every it's nice to see the highlighted stories of how this brings out the good in people. But I think you see the extremes just like anything, right? Right. Sometimes yeah. events like this bring out the best in some people, and it will bring out the absolute worst in other people who just see the ability to make a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Have, what's the mood like in the hospital? Have you noticed a change there? Um, I Again, I can't speak to the hospital as a whole, but as far as our medical crews go, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and now they are treating every transport as if it was presumptive, uh, COVID. So they're getting in full PPE and having to decon the vehicle after each transport. And it's a lot. I mean, one transport can take multiple hours because of the donning and doffing of PPE and having to clean out the rig. And so, you know, we're trying to find new ways to decon our vehicles and it, it's just, I think people are tired, you know, we're, yeah. it, it's, and it's tough to say that, but you know, they have such a difficult job and such an exhausting job anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you throw this on top of it. I think 
people are just tired. I think it's just hard on everybody. Um, you know, and a lot of people are worried about bringing it home to their families and, you know, trying to take all the precautions they can. And a lot of this, a lot of this is reactionary. You know, we've bought some things that we can expect to see come in the next couple of days. Uh, we already received some UV lights mm-hmm. and, and, uh, yeah, so we can like hang those in the helicopter for like 30 minutes or whatever. And that's supposed to kill all the stuff on the surface that can be seen because deconning a helicopter is really, really difficult. Um, deconning an ambulance or an airplane is easier, but still not as great. Um, or still not as difficult. But we've got these fog machines. Hypochlorite generators. Yeah, I think they're using... Some of them, it's weird because some of them aren't allowed to be used in the aircraft because they're worried about what it'll do to the avionics. Um, So we have one fog machine that's allowed to be used in the airplanes for decon. And it cuts the decon time drastically. That's hypochlorite, man. Yeah, I think think hypochlorite. And then um, there's a peroxide based one as well sure yep Mm -hmm. there is and so we've been using those because the decon time otherwise is the amount of time that the patient was in the ambulance for the transport and the drop-off time so it needs to be aired out for that amount of time and then wiped down with the surfaces remaining wet for i think for at least 60 seconds and so um it's a process and it's Mm got to be every surface in the ambulance and so uh we tape up as much as we can, if we, you know, have the gear out that we need to use. Other than that, all of the bins and storage areas and the little like dog door between the cab and the, uh, and the box on the ambulance is taped up just to try to limit the amount of surfaces that have to be wiped down. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's just a lot. Every single transport is a lot. And so, yeah, just the protocol for that sounds exhausting to go over. Yeah. What is what has that done to your capacity? So yeah, it cuts the volume way down. Um, we end up stacking calls um, because w- you know we don't have an ambulance available, and so we're going to get them the next one available. But it might be an hour and a half because we've got a decon and and restock and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, Denver Health. I heard there was one night. You know, they were stacking. These are nine one one calls. They've got seven ambulances that are in line to be deconned by this fog machine. Well, the fog machine takes 15 minutes, then it has to sit open for 30 minutes. And so, you know, out of your 10 ambulances, you've got seven waiting in line to get deconned. Whoa. And so, yeah, it, it has a huge impact. And, and by 911 calls, you mean like, help, grandpa is, has heart collapsed and, and it's no longer breathing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Denver... You know, like, not stuff that can wait for 45 minutes. Right, yeah, and, that, and that's Denver Health. And so, I mean, this is just stories from people I know that work in their comm center. Um, right. Well, and to be clear, that it's not like a, you know, their fault. Or right. The, the no, fault, no, of course right? not. Like, and this is just what we have to do, but it's... That's that's some of the, the, the worry about all the, the whole COVID issue is that it the second and third order knock-on effects uh are are pretty drastic so that sounds like a funding issue though right like you just need more money for more equipment um perhaps more staff i mean i think the i think that definitely helps on some level um i think having more than the one machine to decon ambulances would be good you know i think flight for life just bought like four um or five one for each base and so you know, and there are government grants out there right now that came about to buy these things because they aren't cheap. You know, I think they're like seven grand. Um, 
but they work. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the tough thing about it though is it's like you're buying for capacity that you're only going to need, you know, apparently every 100 years or something. Right. So, you know, like where do we, and that's where the federal government's really important, where we have a rolling crisis through the country. And so it's like, let's get all of those machines to New York and San Francisco. Right. Then let's take all those machines to the next hotspot and the next hotspot. And that's unfortunately not something we're seeing where you have states competing against each other for PPE. And then that leaves you open to like, oh, we're going to fly, fly the Learjet to Texas. And oh, turns out it's an empty garage from like Joe Schmo. And so. <laughs> So, you know, like that, that's where, uh, the, the, uh, response to this on a federal level becomes really important. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. It's the, the hoarding that has been seen to have taken place for PPE and medical equipment like that, you know, everybody wants to take care of their own, but you know, at the same time we need to take care of everybody else too. And it's, it's difficult you know, and the PPE levels, I don't know, I don't know what it looks like. I know it's a conversation that's had within our program every single morning, uh, what our PPE levels are. And, you know, crews are getting issued an M95 mask and they use one mask for the whole day. They use a face, they use a face shield on top of it to try to make it last longer. Um, you know, and so it's, it's PPE conservation for sure. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what the relief looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it you scale up, you know, factories in a wartime effort to produce this kind of stuff. You know, like for example, um, Bauer, the company, the the hockey company that creates all kinds of hockey equipment, has retooled so they can create those those masks. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because yeah. Because they they're they're used to making plexiglass shields for hockey helmets. So it's pretty easy for them to do that. But again, that's something that needs to be, that's in Canada. Um, But that's something you'd like to see on a federal level where you have like, you know, Ford basically be ordered to start manufacturing these kinds of things like ventilators. Well, Um, and actually I think it was uh, Ford, Ford voluntarily switched their production to ventilators. It was Chevy that had to be ordered to start producing ventilators. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, it would have been great to see that happen in January when right. it's needed. And and I think that that's like the biggest frustration is because it's reactionary and also um there's been so much misinformation out there. It's it's slowed the response in every aspect and everything has been I don't want to say too little too late, but because it, you know, eventually will come back as we have all these uh, factories retooling to produce PPE. So it will bounce back, but I think it's just one of those things that it should have happened in January and it happened two months or three months later than that. And, and I think you see the same thing in policies and procedures for, for companies for transporting or for the hospitals, you know, the reaction comes after, after they see the effects starting and it shouldn't have been that way. Yeah, what would what would you have liked to have seen out of our leadership? Uh, and I use leadership in the broadest possible of terms. <laughs> um, so that could include your your hospital uh, command structure. That it can include local and state. That can include federal. That can include private companies. 
basically anybody, but like from your perspective as master and commander of the comm center, uh, like what would you, how could our leaders have better supported you in your job? I think the thing that I would probably say, and and I think it's a argument for a single payer healthcare system uh, style um, response, but that is to is to have a, a uniform response to this thing because what we're still seeing is you know Centura's doing it this way, Kaiser's doing it this way, Health One's doing it this way. You know, so every single different health system has their own response to this. They have their own reaction to this, and it, and it, it's hospital too. It's each hospital has a different reaction to this within the system, and so everybody's doing things a little bit differently. And I think it's because everybody's just trying to figure it out. And I think if there was more direction from the top as far as what needs to be done and how by it the, should be, who do you mean by the top? Well, I is that the I feds? think I think federally, yeah. Um, to have to have them come down with a this is how you know this is how you will PPE. This is how you will conserve. This is how you know we will deal with these patients. You know you need to dedicate a floor to them. Um, instead, it's come down to a lot of states are responding to this individually, um, and healthcare systems are responding to it individually, and so. You see, you know, this hospital is treating, I, I don't know. So that, I think that's the biggest thing is it's just everybody's doing it a little bit differently and they're just trying to figure it out for themselves and what works for them. Do you do you think that some of the issue, because you mentioned, you know, Kaiser's doing it one way, Centura's doing it another way. This is like insurance company based, right? So... Um, do you think that part of the issue in, uh, the, the United States's response to COVID is the way that our healthcare system is set up where the fundamentals of our healthcare system is really disparate. So even if we had, let's say really strong federal leadership, if we had Barack Obama as president, would he have been able to wrangle all of these different components of the healthcare system into working together in concert or do you think we would have had structural problems in that sense i yeah i think we still would have seen a lot of the same problems um regardless of who's in in the white house um i i think you may have stepped away john but it was i think that there's a big argument for a single-payer healthcare system mm. and a national healthcare system and i think you can look at england for that I mean, their ability, their ability to disseminate information within their healthcare system and make sure that things are done on a uniform basis, regardless of the hospital or its location or its insurance or whatever. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think this highlights the reason, some of the reasons why that would be advantageous. Interesting. Structural change, baby. <laughs> Have you well, seen any? Ex yeah. Air Medical is responding to it differently. A lot of people aren't flying these patients in their helicopters. Uh, Flight for Life is one of them. Uh, we flew a few at the very beginning, and then we stopped flying them because the deconning of the helicopter is so difficult. And then 
Um, some some places have decided to, I think by and large, most places have stopped flying these patients um, in their helicopters. And uh, but there are a few that are still doing it. And, you know, it's one of those things we know we're going to come out of this thing and they're going to use that to their advantage um, for marketing. Right. They're going to mm-hmm. say we were there for you when they weren't. And, and so it turns into that game as well as um, the but the reality is these patients aren't necessarily patients that need to get to a different hospital or need to get to a hospital that urgently that they need a helicopter. And so they can they can take the ground option or they can take you know, the airplane. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're saying the profit mo- motive perverts uh, healthcare. Is that what you're saying? And therefore we should have a single pair <laughs> healthcare system. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that anyway, but it's a, right. uh, I, yeah, no, I, I definitely do. I think, and I think I saw that before this um, yeah. in this industry. And honestly, another reason I love working for flight for life as opposed to any other air medical company is we are a nonprofit. And so we basically get to stand in our tower on our moral high ground <laughs> and uh, cast stones at others. It, yeah. Well, we don't have to, that's the best part. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of the reason I enjoy working at flights. Sure. So at, at maybe at flights, um, or at the hospital or anywhere, you know, on television, wherever. Have you seen any examples of good leadership? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've seen decent, decent leadership come out of flight for life. I think our response to this has been very good. I think we're trying Brag to Brag about yourself for a second. Brag about yourself. Do it. I, full permission. Full permission. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've done a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's within flight for life. Our director has done a good job. I can't imagine how she gets anything done. I think she's on like four or five conference calls a day that are strictly COVID based conference calls now. And, uh, and so we try to make sure our crews are protected in comm center. Uh, we've stopped allowing crew members into the comm center unless it's absolutely critical. Uh, we love members being like people who fly helicopters. Yeah, the medical crew, because we have our own door that we can enter in the hospital on the kind of the back side of the hospital that goes directly into our hallway. And we are the first door on the right into our comm center. And so as long as my team is doing a good job of being socially responsible when they're not at work, they have a very low uh, exposure to the rest of the hospital. And so we we recognize that the crew members coming back from transports and just doing inherently doing what they do are our highest exposure risk. And so we've stopped letting crew members into the comm center because our comm center is so fragile as far as staffing goes that, you know, two or three people out sick will throw our schedule into chaos and it will, you know, it, I bought air mattresses. Let me just say that. (laughs) Oh, um, did you did you actually buy some? Yeah, I bought air mattresses for the comm center. Um, I've told all of my employees to have go bags that have toiletries and food and uh, you know a change of clothes in their car when they come to work because 
if things go down and they go down fast and there's multiple people who call out, you know, we could be looking at 18 to 24 hour shifts, potentially, you know, everything we can do to prevent that we will, but it's a reality that I have to, I want to absolutely be prepared for. And if we never have to use the air mattresses and nobody ever has to break out their go bag, fantastic. But I would Mm -hmm. rather have them and not need them. Uh, then need them and not have them. Yeah, that's fair. Got to be prepared like a Boy Scout. Yep, or that's Girl it. Scout. Yeah, awesome. Well, what? Uh, I think I feel like we should wrap it up here. But um, what? Uh, what as like? Civ- what can we do as civilians to make your life easier? And support, stay support. Stay stay home. Stay <laughs> stay the fuck at home. Stay stay home and and don't go do dumb backcountry stuff because that's <laughs> what I can, what I can say is our volume, our call volume has dropped off significantly. We are doing far less transports than we used to. Um, and most of our transports now are COVID related, but we have had, uh, an uptick in backcountry calls because people are desperate to get out and it sucks being stuck at home and you have that super sweet snowmobile and you want to take it up to the mountains and you're going to be responsible and do your social distancing and you're going to fill up at the gas station and make sure you're not next to another person at the pump and you're going to wipe your hands down afterwards and you're going to be super, super responsible, but you just want to go out and play in the snow. And then you're going to trigger an avalanche and then you're going to get stuck and then your buddy has to call somebody to come help you and then we have to come out and pull you out of the backcountry. And so <laughs> we have seen an uptick in those types of calls. Um, because people are desperate to get out and use the backcountry, but the avalanche, uh, risk is really, really high right now. And we are expecting more snow this weekend, which is Mm going to want people to go out, but that's only going to increase the, uh, avalanche risk. And so, so um, ride your snowmobile around and look like your neighborhood. Yeah. If you can, otherwise just leave it parked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't do stupid shit. It is. It's really tough because, you know, I, I for one would love to be out four wheeling and camping and things like that. And it seems like a good idea, but you know, if something goes wrong in this, at this time in our, where we are in our country's timeline, our world's timeline, if, if you require resources to be extricated from whatever activity you're doing, you're taking those resources away from, uh, the response that may be needed for COVID. And, and so I just, that's, that's the biggest thing. You're being as equally reckless is what you're saying. I, I struggle with it because, because I want to do it so badly too. But yeah, I mean, it is right now. It's just not the responsible thing to do. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a risk before that the, you know, the risk, balance um in your mind it's a pretty low risk activity but now now the risk is higher because if something goes wrong even though it hasn't gone wrong in the last 10 times you went out snowmobiling or uh you know backcountry skiing if it is a problem this time Mm -hmm. it's just even more difficult right so and if it helps to think selfishly uh you might be taking those resources away from somebody else or those resources might not exist for you. Ooh, uh, so correct. make responsible decisions for yourself and for your fellow man. 
Right. Uh, I, I can say... Don't shoot your shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say for me personally, um, through this whole thing, I have been staying home on my days off um, and trying to make responsible decisions and just trying to get out of the house uh, in the most responsible way I can. But it was my New Year's resolution this year, which I don't typically do, was to join a four-wheel drive club. <laughs> and I've... And I've been I've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, just like I always do everything. But I decided that after this, after this uh, social distancing and world goes <laughs> back to whatever normal will be after this, I will be joining a four wheel drive club immediately and uh, participating in that as a if. as a positive. I want to try to bring something positive out of the quarantine and uh, stay at home yeah. order. So that's the positive thing I can pull out. If we uh, if it's a like a sharp uh, end to uh, social distancing, which I don't think it will, but uh, will be. But if it is a sharp end, that next that week after everybody is allowed to go out of their houses is going to be fucking bananas. Like we should just shut. People should just not go to work. We should just make that like a national party. Yeah, for a week. yeah, it will be <laughs> crazy. It's going to and... be fucking bananas. Well, and they're even like uh, different counties. Uh, I know Clear Creek County, uh, they're not allowing anybody but county residents on county roads. Oh, really? That's smart. Yeah. So like the county's trying to close it to just county residents. And I know Clear Creek is not the first. Um, and I know that there are a number of others that are doing it. I'm not sure who else is doing yeah. it. They've closed Clear Creek for like water recreation. Oh, yeah. In like Golden and Jefferson County and Clear Creek County, and so you know, because as it starts to get nice, it people are gonna go out. Well, the trailheads are packed. Yeah, um, you know, people are wanting to get out and do some hiking, and just if you have that idea, everybody else have that idea, and so That's right. maybe don't. <laughs> you can you can yep. you can walk in your house, get a step counter. Uh, you can walk in your neighborhood. It's just not as exciting, but it's out of the house. Yeah. Like that that's the big thing is like just find something close to home. Yep. Get a trampoline. Right, Blake? Get a trampoline. <laughs> Little mini one. Oh yeah. I have man. to say I have to say one of the most fascinating responses to this whole thing that I was actually waiting to see how long it took and it did not take long <laughs> was the advertisement response. Oh yeah. I um I sat for it because I don't watch – I watch television online. Um, I don't right. ever watch cable unless somebody else is watching it. And I sat okay. and I watched some cable for a little while. And the commercials blew my fucking mind. Yeah. The, the It's a whole thing. It's crazy. They're, like number one, it's funny how either it seems icky – that you're like advertising around COVID, but the commercials right. that haven't adjusted sound so tone deaf. So you're like, what oh, yeah. the hell? Uh, that blows my mind. There was something else about it too that really. Oh, the other thing that gets at, gets me is like everybody is using euphemisms to talk about it. They're like, we know uh -huh. your family is having some difficulties right now, but we're going to be <laughs> here through the yeah. tough times. Like, I think literally none of those commercials, unless they're from the CDC, say the word COVID. It's crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I found the advertising funny and it's, and I've, I've found the exact same thing. Like there's an ad that keeps popping up on Hulu. That's like for a gym. And I was like, well, those are all closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't do that right now. Um, but then there's other ones that I've actually found. Like I thought, uh, Mazda was actually one of the first car commercials I saw. Hmm. Um, after this and they had a like really sweet heartfelt ad that, by no means did they say come buy our cars or we're going to defer payments for six months or we'll make four of your payment. Like it was very heartfelt advertising. And I thought it was really, really clever on their end because a lot of the other car advertisers are all this, like they're they'll defer payments. They'll make your first four payments until this is over. We can help you. And then of course there's, sorry, I just know about car ads. No, you're good. Um, there's a there's a company called Carvana, and I guess they will they'll do like touchless purchasing and delivery. So like you go online, you find the car you want, you order it, it gets dropped off in your driveway. You never have to see or speak to another person. You sign everything online, and they're like really pushing that now as the safe way to buy a car. Man, I think the economy is going to be really different on the other side of this. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. I think it's going to force us into making a lot of changes that probably should have happened already, like working from home. Uh, we actually we did a we did a podcast yesterday about what policies we would like to see Joe Biden adopt, uh, and if you could do any kind of COVID anything. And one of the things I was thinking about is some kind of like tax credit. Uh, for companies that, uh, or some kind of other incentive for companies that transition to work from home as much as possible. Even after this, I think it makes so much sense just in terms of like climate change and uh, workforce happiness and all sorts of things like that. Um, so I think we're going to see a major transition to, to work from home for lots of companies. I mm-hmm. I totally agree because I actually said that just the other day. I was um, I was just mentioning, I was thinking about how many companies are going to come out of the backside of this thing and go, well, that kind of works. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I yeah. think it, it that makes was- <laughs> so much, and at least in my personal experience, I work from home, the whole, my whole company works from home. I think people are more productive. Like you, you have to have some accountability, uh, but I think you're more productive at home. You just, you have more hours in your day. You're happier. Uh, you're not distracted. Like it just makes a lot of sense, but that's another, that's another podcast. <laughs> that's our business podcast. <laughs> maybe that, I, I, I was going to say maybe uh, being held more accountable uh, is no, not a bad thing not. right now. <laughs> no, so. I, don't, I don't think it is. And we can, if you guys have a podcast about working from home, um, I can chip in on that one because I've got a crew member on my team who uh, continues to ask about when we will start working from home. I was doing wondering what we about do. that. Like you could work from home, couldn't you? Not mm, really. No. It's, I mean, I would imagine your communication center has a lot of tools and gadgets you need. Right. Yeah. So there are some communication centers who are set up to be able to work from home, but they are almost exclusively uh, telephone based communication centers. The fact that we monitor over a dozen radio frequencies, oh. everybody would have to have a radio tower at their house. Oh, I didn't know you had radio frequencies. That's not something mm. that you can like centrally monitor and then pipe in. So I guess I guess the reality is we probably could figure it out. It's not gonna happen in time. Right. 
like yeah. the with mm-hmm. the with the um, weight on the system that there is right now, trying to figure out how to get Flight for Life dispatched from home right. with Centura IT leading <laughs> that charge is gonna take years. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's a good example, kind of, of what we're talking about, which is like there's these hurdles where most companies would be like, "Man, we have to do this, so let's not do it." But COVID has forced them into doing it, and so on the other side of this, right. there's going to be a lot less reason to say no to working from home. And it's not something I'm opposed to looking into, but I don't think it's realistic yeah. for our our position and react trying to react in time for uh, COVID. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it, it probably doesn't in the short term. Really. Well, this has turned into an interesting <laughs> in the weeds podcast. Going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Going down a rabbit hole yeah, so hard. This is fantastic. Uh, listeners, just so you know, this is basically what hanging out with us is like. <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> Love it or hate it. Uh, all right. Well, should we get out of here? This has been long. This has like almost been a, an hour podcast, I think. We're at 50 minutes. Yeah producer blake over there yeah uh um, where are the guardrails now yeah oh you guys are fine <laughs> <laughs> fluffy thanks for joining us oh you're welcome always good to see your face yes thank you for having me Absolutely. yeah we 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 appreciate everything that you and your folks do for us uh in and out of crazy times so um, well i can tell you that most of us are happy to be doing it well good <laughs> nice awesome Nice. All right, folks. Well, uh, be kind to each other and God speed. You're like the greatest bowel movement that I have sometimes. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Cut. Th- thank you. <laughs> wow, you know it's really going downhill when I'm getting cut. All right. <laughs> when someone's applying the guardrails to you. <laughs> <laughs>